Hey church, welcome to an online worship service. It is the first of the month, so right here at the top of the video, stop the video, uh, go get yourself a, a, a piece of bread and something to drink. We're going to take communion together. Did I say communion twice? Let's go again. Here we go. All right, let's worship the... No. No. Hey church, welcome to an online no, worship... No, 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 no. Those are some crazy eyes. Take 17. Go find a bread. Go find a cup. <sighs> go find a bread. Hey church, it's really good to be with you. This is an online worship service, and uh, we're excited to praise the Lord here tonight and hear from his word, um, except it's the morning. Tug on it. Church, this is like, no joke, the eighth take of my intro, so whatever happens is the final. I just give you my word. It is an online worship service. That's what's happening. That's why you're here. Welcome to it. It's the first of the month. We're going to take communion together in just a few minutes, so would you please, wherever you are, go find bread, go find a cup, Prepare to remember what Christ Jesus means to us all. Amen? I think I got it, you guys. I got it. Let's worship the Lord quick before I say something dumb. Here we go.
So church, I hope you have a, a communion element ready to go. Uh, normally, when we talk about communion, we talk about remembering Jesus' suffering. We talk about, remember what he did for you. And I just want to read a passage uh, from Romans that reminds us that not only do we join him in suffering, but we join him in power. We join him in resurrection. Check this out. Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall, sh we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It is entirely appropriate when taking communion to have a somber, reflective tone in your heart, a focus on the suffering of Christ for you, for me. But according to Romans, we're not just joining with him in communion to remember that. We're remembering that we've been raised. We're a part of his resurrection. If we are in Christ for the death and for the burial, we are in Christ for the resurrection. So as we sing this song, as we prepare our hearts for communion, Remember to hold both sides equally. You might need to be in a stage where you're feeling that spiritual death. You need to remember the suffering. That's where you are. Some of you need a promise of resurrection. And when you take the bread, when you take the cup, you're reminded that the Lord Jesus did not stay in the ground. You are resurrected and raised with him right now. The kingdom is at hand. Let's sing this song to prepare our hearts, shall we?
There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all. So come what may in the space between all the things unseen and this reckoning. I know I will never be. This represents the body of Christ. It was not only broken, but it was knit back together and raised to glory. Remember both his suffering and his resurrection. This represents the body of Jesus Christ. Eat and remember. This juice represents the blood of Christ. It was spilled for you because our sin was heavy and it demanded a blood sacrifice. So remember the suffering in the blood, but also remember that the blood covers the sin of not only you, me, everybody on this stage, but every human being that has ever lived, is currently living and will ever live. His blood is sufficient for the forgiveness of many that is an amazing thing. Remember not only his sacrifice, but his sanctification. This represents the blood of Jesus. Drink and remember. Because I can see the light in the darkness as the darkness bows to him. I can hear the roar in the heavens as the space between where's I can feel the ground shake beneath us as the prison walls cave in. Nothing stands between us. Nothing stands between us. Well, thank you, worship team, for leading us. And uh, so good to be together online every single week. Hopefully that's a blessing to you like it is to me. Wanted to just touch on a few things happening in our church community. One of the uh, just regular things and ways that we want to be able to serve you is through prayer. And so easy way to touch base with us is to text 97. 97- 
thousand. And when you text that number, you'll get a response from the church immediately, and then you'll send your prayer request through. And uh, we consider it a huge privilege to be able to lift up things for you each week in prayer. And so that's always an option. We also want to highlight just some of the different ways we have to connect during this season. This has been a really tough year, as you all know, as far as feeling uh, disconnected. And so we're trying to take steps towards connection, whether it's online or in person. A few different things we have coming up. First is this coming Sunday uh, at 3 p.m. We have our second annual Super Bowl party, and I'm uh, really excited about that. Uh, we're going to be in our courtyard uh, using the uh, television set that we have out there. And uh, just a great way for you to just engage with some folks. We have tons of uh, food ordered uh, for that. It's completely free, though. I uh, would love to have you come and hang out. An easy way to invite a friend uh, if they're comfortable getting out. The nice thing about our courtyard is plenty of room to spread out. Similar, uh, we have happening on Monday evening a chance for our ladies to connect, and they're calling it a Galant Galantine Courtyard Gathering. That's fun. Say that 10 times fast. And that's happening at 6.30 on Monday, February the 8th. And just a, a fun night with games and prizes and kind of a Valentine's theme to it. And also just a, a chance to hear a testimony from one of the ladies in our church. We're looking forward uh, to that as well. Great opportunity to uh, bring out a friend. Then for the men, we have uh, just on a regular reoccurring basis starting on February the 13th. It's a Saturday, and we have a, a new men's Bible study that's starting. It's on Saturday mornings, meeting from 7.30 to 9.30, and just a great foundation for investing in your spiritual lives. They're going through a book called Wild at Heart. Uh, really, I know years past, I've been blessed by that book, so hopefully that'll be encouragement for the guys connecting there. And they have the opportunity for that to either connect online uh, or in person. So feel free to check that out on our website anytime to get some more specific details. We also have a wonderful way to be connected in our church through, we talk about it often, through our life groups. And I believe people are as connected as they choose to be in this church. And that's for a lot of people, that's the next step for you. And the great thing is, is we have the opportunity either in person or online. John has a plethora of options. He would be the person that you'd want to reach out to for more details or just as usual going on our website. Well, so grateful for the faithful giving of so many in our church. And just a reminder that that can either be done through online, through our website, through our church app, or mailing in a check. Let me just, before Josh comes up to teach from God's word, just let me lift that time up in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be together and to worship you through song. You're clearly worthy of everything that's written, everything that's spoken. We want everything in our time together to put the spotlight on you for you to be central. God, now we ask that you'd be present and moving through Josh, that you'd be uh, great and mighty and do the things that only you can do when we open your word. We invite that in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Agora Bible Fellowship, greetings. It is wonderful to see you on this fine football weekend. Uh, all of my Chiefs fans out there, I want to do a little something for you in your homes. I will not be able to hear you, but I think this is important because it's such a big game, such a big weekend. So all my Chiefs fans, if you're pulling for the Chiefs on the count of three, I want you to let out a state farm. Okay, ready? One, two, three. 
Okay, that's fun. Nobody over here, okay? All my Bucks fans, everybody cheering for the Bucks. On the count of three, I want you to make your best goat noise. Ready? One, two, three. You guys aren't cheering for anybody? Okay, so uh, if you're just here for the food and to watch the halftime show and you don't really care, on the count of three, give me a woot woot. One, two, three. Okay, wow. Okay, so excellent. Really? You guys don't care? All right, whatever. That's fine. So uh, I don't like to admit it. However, I think at this point, we must all admit that Tom Brady is probably the greatest quarterback of all time, the GOAT, if you will. I have made it a habit of cheering against him. I will continue to do so this weekend, uh, but it's kind of undeniable. The guy just wins, like he just wins. I was looking at some of his like playoff records and things like that, and it's kind of condemning. So his playoff record is 33 wins and 11 losses. The second most wins in playoff history by another quarterback is 16 playoff wins. Any guesses who has the second most playoff wins in NFL quarterback history? Close, Joe Namath, good guess. Correct answer, Joe Montana. Then if you go to the Super Bowl, Brady still is pretty stinking good. This will be his 10th Super Bowl appearance. The second most Super Bowl appearances is five. Any guesses on who has five Super Bowl appearances as a quarterback? John Elway is the correct answer. John Elway is two and three, two wins, three losses in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady is six wins and three losses in his previous Super Bowls, which means Tom Brady has won more Super Bowls than any other quarterback in the history of the NFL has appeared in. That is crazy. Now, I know that winning isn't everything. I know that there are other things that are going into being the greatest of all time. But I'm just saying, if I was another quarterback coming into the league and I wanted to learn from a quarterback, learn the ropes, it would probably have to be Tom Brady. It's one thing to observe him in public and to just kind of watch him, but a completely another thing to get behind the curtain, see behind the scenes, see him in the quarterback room, hearing the conversations, the game plans, seeing how he practices, seeing how he watches film. All those things would just put it at a whole nother level. You might be thinking, Josh, are you gonna try and connect this somehow to what we're talking about today? And the answer is yes, yes, I am. Uh, for the first 12 chapters of John, which is the book that we've been working our way through, Jesus has been doing his public ministry. We kind of wrapped up his public ministry last week at the end of chapter 12. Uh, it's summarized well here in verses 36 and 37 of chapter 12. It says, he departed and he hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not, believe him. Pastor Scott talked on that last week. Israel had rejected her Messiah. Now Jesus is pulling away from the masses who had rejected him, and he's going to focus on the few that had received him. These next few chapters that we're going to be going through over the next few weeks are so, so special for the church. So special for the church. We kind of get the inside look, the behind the scenes with Jesus, and he gives us pretty straightforward his thoughts on what the church should look like and how it looks to follow him. 
We are starting out with a bang here in chapter 13. Uh, This section of scripture that we're covering today is one of, if not the most important uh, sections of scripture when we look about, when we look at what the church should look like today. Let me pray and we are going to dive in together. Dear Lord, uh, Father, we just thank you for another week to be in your word. Um, Lord, thank you that we have this sweet technology to be able to film this video and put it out uh, on the web for people to, to watch and dive into your word together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Um, Lord, I pray that as we dive in and, and learn about your humility and your servant uh, servanthood, um, Lord, would you just um, move in us and speak to us? Lord, I pray that I'd get out of the way um, Lord, I pray that you do what you want to do. Um, we're thankful for a chance to be together, and we give this time to you now. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So as I mentioned before, Jesus and his disciples now are pulling away from the masses. They're going to go have a meal, have some bro time, and Jesus is going to download some sweet wisdom to the boys. Here we go, starting in verse number one. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, exclamation point. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. Have you ever found yourself in a nose-goes type of situation? You know the situation I'm talking about where somebody's got to do it, but nobody really wants to do it? As I was thinking, a a popular scene from one of my favorite all-time TV shows came to mind. Uh, The show is Friends. And the scene is where Monica, Joey, and Chandler had a day at the beach. It was a rough day at the beach. They come back and they're sharing their experience of this rough day with the other three. And unfortunately, Monica had gotten stung by a jellyfish and they're in this situation, who's gonna do it? Because we all know the remedy for a jellyfish sting, which is urine. And none of them want to step up to the plate. And all of a sudden, Joey exclaims, that's right, I stepped up. I still laugh just like thinking about him uh, giving that line. And it's even funnier Because then it turns out he's like, but I got the stage fright and I couldn't do it. Hilarious, hilarious. So it turns out that Chandler ends up doing it. They're all like scarred by this situation. Just a hilarious situation of who's gonna do it. Somebody needs to step up, but nobody wants to. It's kind of the situation that we we find ourselves in here with the disciples with less jellyfish uh, stings in urine. But 
kind of the situation that we find ourselves in here with the disciples. We're at dinner time. They've pulled away. It's dinner time. And they've got a couple of problems. The first problem is that their feet are dirty. They've been walking around in the sandals all day through who knows what. They've got some dirty feet. And it's not just a preference, not just a ritual to have clean feet here at the dinner table. It is an issue of hygiene. See, back then they didn't have modern tables and chairs. They would have been sitting down on the floor. Their feet would have been next to the food at the table. The idea of having dirty, nasty feet at dinner just wasn't gonna cut it. It just didn't happen. I was thinking of a modern day kind of comparison to like what that would be like back then. And it brought me back to my college days. I had a college buddy, his name's Kevin. He's from Iowa. And back in college, we would go and visit his farm out in Iowa and just have an awesome time doing stupid things that college guys do out on a farm. And one day we decided that it would be fun to mess with the pigs and try and catch some pigs and they let us do this. And so I actually have a couple of pictures of baby Josh. This is me back in college. Check out the swooshy hair. Yep, I know, that's me running. Uh, Mainly, as you can see from those two pictures, mostly running away from the pigs, apparently. Uh, But at some point we got in there and mixing up with the pigs. And I was thinking if I was to leave being in the pig pen, getting my hands all dirty with all the things that are entailed in there, touching pigs, all that stuff, and then go eat without washing my hands, that would be disgusting. I would not do that. And that is the situation that these guys find themselves in here with their feet. They need clean feet. The second problem that they are facing is that apparently there are no slaves, no one there to wash their feet for them. In case you're not familiar and haven't heard about uh, foot washing back in this time. It was not the most glamorous of jobs. Actually, it was quite the opposite. It was reserved for the lowest of the low. Typically, a slave would do it. Ideally, it would be a Gentile slave, so it wasn't even a Jewish slave. However, as I said, the job needed to be done. So it was just kind of the low man on the totem pole ended up doing the job. So now you kind of understand where the headspace is, where we are heading into this dinner. And can you imagine what that moment was like when they get there, they're at dinner and realizing there's nobody else here to wash our feet. It's just us. Who is going to wash all of our feet? I can imagine that the the disciples, as they're thinking this through and processing, like it's hitting each of them and maybe kind of like an awkward silence, looking down, looking around, peeking around, who's gonna do it? But I'm sure they all had the same thoughts going through their mind of who is gonna do this? There is no way I am going to do this. There's not a chance. What would the other guys think of me? What would Jesus, what would the teacher, our master, what would he think of me? See, this was an honor-shame culture, different from our culture here today. Honor was such a massive priority, not to say that honor isn't a big deal today, but even back then, even more so, a huge, huge deal. The idea of lowering themselves uh, and giving up honor and taking shame on themselves, putting themselves in that low of position was just unthinkable. The crazy thing is that something even more unthinkable happened right in that next moment. Jesus is the one that makes the first move, the teacher, the master. He goes and begins to wash all of their feet. I can't 
comprehend or even fathom kind of what would be going through the disciples' minds at that point. Probably a stunned silence. Jaws probably open down to the ground as the, the teacher works his way around and is washing their feet. Probably just incredibly difficult for them to even comprehend uh, what was going on. I'm sure they were just in shock. As you can see, Peter is a little bit of a different breed and he has to speak up. You shall never wash my feet, he says there in verse eight. I did a quick just uh, study on the Greek word for never. And uh, it turns out that in this context, it means never. Um, so that's what he meant. And then Jesus responds and he says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Verse nine, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I, I love Peter. Absolute, like dude's a knucklehead for sure. Sticks his feet in his mouth repeatedly, right? As we read through the gospel accounts. But there's one thing that is true of Peter and he just passionately loved and wanted to follow the Lord with everything that he had. Even though he messed it up sometimes, he was just like all in for following the Lord. And you can see how teachable he was too, right? In that first moment, you will never wash my feet. You are the teacher. You are so much above me. You cannot lower yourself below me. Father, I will never allow you to dishonor yourself like that. And then when Jesus corrects him, then Peter's immediate 180 response is to say, okay, give me a bath, like <laughs> all of it. It's just like he was all in. And I just think, man, what an amazing picture that is, how that should be a picture of our spiritual lives and following the Lord, how we should be all in. Yes, I'm following you with everything that I've got, even though I'm probably gonna mess it up sometimes. And then when the Lord comes and corrects us either with his word or with his Holy Spirit and adjusts our course, will we say, yes, I'm going that way, Lord. Yes, I'll follow you with everything that I have. I can only imagine in this moment, Jesus is thinking a couple of things. One, Peter, you are such a nerd. <laughs> like, you're so crazy. But I can't help but think that internally, Jesus has this huge smile of just like, this guy gets it. This guy gets it. Continuing on in verse 10. Jesus said to him, this is speaking to Peter, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean. But not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. I'm gonna read verses 14 and 15 again because these are pretty stinking huge. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Verse 16. Double truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. 
I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, that you may believe that I am he. Double truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So Jesus finishes up washing that last little piggy, and then he goes, bends down, gets back on the floor at the dinner table. And as I was picturing this, I couldn't help but think, does Jesus make old man noises when he gets up and when he sits down? Because it was the early 30s for me when like, I cannot get up from a chair of any height without making some sort of grunt and old man noise. I can't do it. So I just wonder, like, did Jesus make the old man noise when he's going to get back down on, on the ground? I, just, I, I think about things. Anyways, so he continues, Jesus continues. And he said, so you know back in verse seven, how I said that you wouldn't understand, but then you will. Well, you guys have waited long enough. Time for me to explain. And what follows is one of the clearest callings, one of the clearest expectations in the Bible for how Jesus followers should live and ultimately how the church should look. In verse 13, he says, I, God in the flesh, the one that you call Lord, am setting an example for you. If I am willing to humble myself, to lay down my honor, my comfort, my position of power, if I am willing to do that and serve you, my disciples, who by definition are under me, they are choosing to follow him, then you should do the same for each other. This past weekend, I had the opportunity to go with Lindsay's family up to Big Bear. Uh, for Christmas, Lindsay's folks uh, bought us, the family, a little weekend getaway, got the Airbnb, got lift tickets for two days at Snow Summit. It was a blast. And it struck me and has stuck with me uh, the role that Lindsay's dad chose to play for the weekend. Over the two days of being on the hill at Snow Summit, Lindsay's dad, John, my father-in-law, um, decided to take the role of shuttle master or chauffeur uh, back and forth from the hill for people that wanted to come back to the Airbnb for lunch, for people that wanted to go. People, some people wanted to come back early. Uh, I did the math. He made nine round, trip, uh, nine round trips. My guess is probably average about 45 minutes a trip. So he probably spent six, seven, maybe even eight hours over two days just shuttling people back and forth from Airbnb to the mountain. It might seem like uh, a, a little thing. Um, however, this is the guy who paid for the entire weekend. He easily could have, as the patriarch, the father of the family, wanted the weekend to be about him and kind of just like do what sounded really good and entertaining and pleasing to him. And yet he laid that down to meet a need so that we didn't have to mess with the craziness that was up at the hill and make sure that everybody else had the experience that they wanted to have. And I just thought, man, what a cool picture of just laying down his honor, his place of power in the family, because he, he does as, as the father for sure have. Even cooler still, I think, is the example that he set for his three sons, for his son-in-law, for his grandsons, for the way to sacrificially love and serve your family. Um, 
And those are the pictures, those are the snapshots that I think stick with a family for years and maybe even generations. I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here, right? He's setting the example. He's showing this is how you do it. And it's not just in this moment. This isn't the first time, like all of a sudden Jesus is like, now I'm going to set an example. But Jesus has been doing this his entire ministry, right? Think about it. He could have come from the beginning as a dominant and powerful king that demanded to be served. He had plenty of followers. Like he could have gotten plenty of followers to just serve him and uh, do that whole thing. But instead he came as a lowly and humble, rejected teacher ultimately willing to serve, lay down his honor, lay down everything for the entirety of mankind. And that is the kind of life that he calls us to. That's the kind of life that he calls us to. The savior was willing to do that for us. There's one more thing that really stands out that I don't think can be overlooked as we read through this account and this passage. I find it really interesting that Jesus treated both Peter and Judas the same. He treated these two guys, Peter, the guy who he's, Jesus is about to hand over his entire earthly ministry and build his church on. And you have Judas on the other hand, the guy that in about five, 10, maybe 15 minutes is about to leave this very place where they're at and go and betray Jesus. Look down at verse 30. Don't skip too far ahead because Pastor Scott's talking about that next week. But down in verse 30, he leaves right? Coming up just in 10 more verses, he leaves to go and betray him. Jesus absolutely knew that G- Jesus absolutely knew that Judas was about to go and do this. Look up at verse 11, but yet he washed his feet anyways. It is one thing to serve, um, be a servant and sacrificially serve those people that you like. It is a whole other thing to sacrificially lay down your honor, your comfort, your position of power for people that you dislike or disagree with. Can you imagine like being there in Jesus's sandals, right? Try and just even put yourself in that position where you know exactly what this dude is about to go do, how he's going to go and betray you in a little bit. And yet you're still willing to lower yourself to be humble enough to go and to wash his dirty, nasty feet because they need to be washed crazy. On the other hand, think about it from Judas's perspective. Like, can you imagine knowing what you're going to go do? The plan is already there. You know that you're about to backstab this guy and yet he's willing to do this for you. Can you imagine as he's sitting there washing his feet, what is going through Judas's mind? How did things not turn around? I can't imagine the conviction, the heart check that is going on. Like, is he sweat? Like, I can't even imagine that scenario. And I thought for us, man, in this time, after we read a passage like this, man, it is so important for us to do a heart check of our own hearts. Um, So over the next few minutes, I just have a little self-evaluation that I think is good coming out of this passage. Um, There's three of them. The first one is this. In general, what does your heart look like in this area? In general. Jesus is absolutely addressing our hearts, right? He's addressing the disciples' hearts. It's a heart issue. He understands our hearts. He created us. He lived as a man. 
He understands this deep longing, this deep desire for us to have positions of honor, for us to be placed in higher positions. Even though America is not an honor-shame culture, you cannot tell me that there is not a thing of us wanting to look the part, feel the part, be the guy, be cool, especially, I don't know if this is even a pro, especially in Southern California. There's no doubt this is absolutely a thing in our culture. And so my first question is just being honest with yourself. Do you find yourself saying or even just thinking, right? Maybe you wouldn't come out as far as to, to say it, but you're thinking it. Do you, do you say or think things like, oh, I, I don't do that. I don't do that, honey. Come on. I don't associate with those types of people. Like I don't serve them. Like those, they, they serve me. Like, that's just how it is. It's just kind of how society is set up. It's just what it is. Jesus, your savior, God in the flesh, made himself the lowest of the low, and he was setting an example for us. The second evaluation is how willing are you to serve those you dislike? How willing are you to serve those you dislike? I'm sure you have noticed over the last number of years that common courtesy is kind of a thing of the past. I don't know how we've decided as a culture or as a society, but basically if you disagree or dislike, uh, disagree with or dislike somebody, you can kind of just like not treat them well at all. Common courtesy, it's okay, not a thing. doesn't really matter. But yet Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Can you imagine like what our world would look like if the church were to be willing to sacrificially lay down for those we disagree with and dislike? Finally, number three, how well do you serve the church? How well do you serve the church? And I'm actually not even talking here about like, where do you serve at ABF? We need to get you plugged in right now. Um, I mean, that might be part of it. But the bigger picture of what I'm talking about here is the church is the people, right? We are the church. The church is the body of believers. Here in this passage, Jesus is telling his disciples to wash each other's feet. He's telling them to wash each other's feet. He's giving them and us a picture of what the church is supposed to look like. It's actually a recurring theme. Jesus hits on it multiple times, even just throughout this gospel. If you look down further in John chapter 13, he talks about how our love for one another uh, is the proof that we actually follow him and love him. Like this kind of sacrificial love is actually the proof that we follow and love Jesus. And then if you were to go down even further into chapter 17, which we'll get to in a few weeks, he talks about unity in the body of Christ Jesus does and talks about, man, if we were to live, love people like this and had this crazy kind of unity, that would be proof for the outside world. The outside world would see that and that would prove to them that God is real and that Jesus is the Messiah. This is exactly what he's talking about. If we in the, in the church were willing to lay down our honor, willing to lay down our comfort, willing to lay down our position of power, for those around us, for others in the church, that is the exact thing that would change the world. I was thinking about it. There should be a depth of relationship that we can find in the church 
that we just cannot find anywhere else, that you can't find with a coworker, that you can't find with the other parents on your kid's baseball team. There should be a depth of relationship that we have in the church that we cannot experience anywhere else. And I might be so bold to say, if that's not the truth, then we might not be doing church right. We might not be doing church right. This is the church that Jesus calls us to. Can you imagine a reality in which the church lived this out, in which our love and our unity were so mind-blowing that it was an amazing picture to the world around us? There would be a revival like we have never seen if the church did this. All that to be said, for clarification, I do wanna say a couple of things. Number one, I love our church. I love ABF. I love coming here on Sunday mornings. It feels like home. I love this place. My intent is not to badmouth or say anything bad about our church, other churches. It is for the intention of inspiring, encouraging, spurring us on and saying, let's get after this together. Because as you hear this, right, as you're diving into the scripture, don't you long for more? Like, isn't there something that wells up inside of you that says, yes, I want that. I just want that type of community. I want that type of love. I wanna live like that. I wanna experience that. I wanna see God do amazing things here in my community because of the way that we love each other. I do too. Like, I feel that too. And I think I think there's this longing that part of it is we're just longing for heaven. We are longing for this perfect community. We're longing for the perfection that is to come. But at the same time, why would we not try and bring as much of a taste of heaven to here and now? Jesus was commanding that for here and now on this earth. If we the more of this that we have, the better it is for us, but also it is the best evangelistic tool that the church has at its disposal. This right here. Josh, I'm in. You have convinced me. Like, I'm on board. Let's go. Let's do this thing. I am so in. Like, how? Like, how does this look? I don't have the perfect formula, right? Like if there was just that perfect, like, oh, just do one, two, three, you're good. Like, I don't know. I feel like this would be a, a much easier thing. I don't have that, but I've jotted down a couple of things, some things that I've seen from scripture uh, here that we're going through today. Um, the first thing is it starts with you. It starts with you. I think it's really easy when we hear stuff like this and start feeling these feelings and wanting these things to be true. We say, man, the church needs to be better. You know, the church needed to be better. And if I may just humbly remind you that you are the church. You are the church. We are the church. Um, I know that this kind of love is contagious. I've experienced it. Um, when my wife loves me so sacrificially and lays down um, her rights, her honor, all that for me, like, man, it is contagious. Um, if we as a church, if you as a member of the church, continue to live this out. It, it is a contagious thing. It will pick up speed. Just in a practical note, I think, and this wasn't meant to be a pitch, but it kind of is, life groups. Life groups are the best place to do community and family together. I think absolutely the few hundred people that call ABF home, sure, like we can continue to work towards that. But the idea of doing it in a smaller community when you can actually 
actually do life together on a regular basis um, and be able to form those types of relationships where you can love each other that way. I just think that is absolutely um, an amazing way to do it. I don't get anything for people joining life groups. The church doesn't get anything for having more people in life groups. It legitimately is just for you. Like that's the reason why we have them is to build this type of community. And then addressing the heart, there's, there's two pieces that I see even just from the scripture. The first one is here in this passage and the second one we're gonna wait for uh, a couple of weeks. Um, but what allows us to lay down our honor, our comfort, our position of power for other people? Well, it's the same thing that allowed Jesus to do so. If you look up at verse three, it's the assurance that we are sons and daughters of the king of all kings. We are sons and daughters of the king of all kings. Sounds like a very churchy line, I get it. But my question is, do you actually believe that? Like, does that actually sink in, soak in? Does that fill your mind and your heart on a regular basis? Because if it did, it wouldn't matter who else you're around. It wouldn't matter what other uh, popular or um, high ranking or uh, elevated person that would be around that you would need to impress. Because if this truth was really at the depth of who you are, that you are a son of the king, man, how much of your attention would uh, rather be pointed towards making him proud? You'd be willing to lay down anything, lay down any honor, look however you wanna look. It doesn't matter what they think, regardless of how high and mighty they are. It doesn't matter. I'm a son and a daughter of the king. Um, that's the first. And the second uh, is, is coming up here in a couple of weeks in my favorite passage in the entire Bible, John chapter 15, something about a vine and staying connected to it. Again, that might sound churchy as well, but yet it is absolutely the truth and the key to living this out. Um, but that is a tease for weeks to come. Let me pray for us. Uh, dear Lord, uh, Father God, we are so thankful for your word. Um, we're thankful for the fact that you use it to convict and change and stir in our hearts. Lord, thank you for the stirring that you give us about what community should look like in the church. Lord, thank you for the stirring that you're doing in our hearts, welling up about um, how we should lay ourselves down for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and even for those that we dislike. Um, Lord, I pray that you would continue to show us what that looks like. Lord, I pray for sweet time with you, that you'd continue to use your spirit to convict us in moments where we just wanna be selfish, because man, that happens so much. Um, Father, I pray that um, today would just be a sweet, even just shifting point, Lord, that you would use it in our lives and in our hearts. Lord, I pray for Agora Bible Fellowship. I'm so thankful for our church body. I'm thankful for how um, just the amazing relationships that are here and the ways that you use our church um, to do so many cool things. Lord, I pray that you'd stretch us and grow us, that you would continuing to just build us up and build us into a, a body of believers uh, that looks like what you want us to look like down here, Lord. I pray that you would use the way that we love each other to just draw people in. Um, Lord, we're so desperate for you in the middle of all of that. Um, we're just human beings and man, we mess stuff up. Lord, we love you so much. We're so thankful for time in your word and time together. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who will ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you
church. Man, isn't God's word good? It's so good. Such a good word for us today. Man, would this just fire us up? Would we be fired up to go and love our brothers and sisters, looking for opportunities to just love each other well, lay ourselves down? Man, have some sweet time with your family, some sweet time with the Lord. Have an awesome week. We love you guys. We'll see you soon.